I could feel the hair on my arms and neck standing up. I asked out loud, Is there anyone else in here with me? And suddenly, I could hear someone breathing in my ear. It was as if someone was whispering to me. I'm Tom Stewart, and this is my paranormal story. Before I start this episode, I want to thank you for listening. This podcast only exists because of supporters like you. But unfortunately, podcasts do cost money. So I'm hoping you'll show your support by visiting my website, myparanormalstory.com, and clicking on the donate button. Every little bit helps keep us on the air. Thank you so much for your support. If you've ever watched a ghost hunting TV show, or if you've done any paranormal investigating of your own, the one type of location that always seems to deliver spiritual activity is lighthouses. There's just something about these majestic buildings with their beams of light shining out into the fog and darkness. We picture a lone keeper living in solitude on a small island for weeks, months, even years at a time, tending to that light every single night. And while most of these lights are automated now, the buildings that house them have stood for decades, surviving storms and hurricanes and everything Mother Nature can throw at it. There's just something magical about lighthouses. On the East Coast, there are hundreds and hundreds of lighthouses, lighting up our shores from the tip of Florida to the coasts of Maine, in New England, where I'm from, we have nearly 200 lighthouses alone, like Portland Head Light in Maine, Race Point Light in Provincetown, Massachusetts, New London Ledge Light in Connecticut, just to name a few. But one of my favorites, of course, is located right here in my home state, Rose Island Lighthouse in Newport, Rhode Island. You may have heard of Rose Island in the news lately. A couple of weeks ago, actress Jennifer Lawrence had her wedding in Newport, Rhode Island, and her rehearsal dinner was held the night before on Rose Island. The wedding reception was also held in a historic and possibly haunted location, Belcourt Castle. I'm not sure if she knew these places were haunted or not, but I kind of feel like I should have been invited to the wedding, you know, just to tell some spooky stories. The 18-plus acre rose-shaped island in Narragansett Bay has many stories to tell going all the way back to the 1700s. During the Revolutionary War, the island once housed infantry who were stationed there at Fort Hamilton. Years later, the island was also used as a torpedo station in both World War I and World War II. The lighthouse, which can be seen as you cross the Newport Bridge, wasn't built until 1870, but for 100 years, it helped guide ships through the bay until it was deactivated in 1970. The Newport Lighthouse Foundation was created in 1984, and then in 2008, the lighthouse was restored and is now a bed and breakfast type of tourist attraction where visitors can take a short boat ride to the island and stay the night in the lighthouse, or you can stay an entire week if you want as an honorary lighthouse keeper, but it does come with some chores. 
The Island and Lighthouse is also used as an educational retreat with field trips for schools and youth groups. And it also serves as a sanctuary for many species of migratory nesting birds, harbor seals, and dozens of different plants and trees. Rose Island is also a great example of self-efficiency as it is completely off the grid. A mile from the mainland, the island, its structures, and any visitors must depend on wind and solar power for electricity, and water is pumped from a cistern attached to a rainwater collection system. There's also no televisions, no radios, no computers, no major appliances, and the only way you can make a phone call is with your cell phone if you can get a signal. So you might be wondering, why would such a beautiful sounding island with so much history be haunted? Well, Rose Island also has a bit of a dark history. During a construction operation in the late 1930s, a lost military cemetery was discovered. It's believed casualties of war were brought out to the island to be buried in unmarked graves away from the mainland. Some of the remains were found wearing clothing and buttons from the Civil War. And all of the relics that were found were gathered and buried in a metal box in an unknown location somewhere on the island. There were also many deaths that occurred on the island as well, from the families of lighthouse keepers to the many soldiers who were stationed there during two world wars. The island was also sadly used as a place of quarantine for many decades as communities dealt with little-known epidemics like tuberculosis, smallpox, influenza, and other diseases, many victims were shipped out to Rose Island to keep them from infecting those on the mainland. Thousands would live out their few remaining days in sickness, lying on cots in the old military barracks, many presumably buried somewhere on the island, along with others who had also perished on the mainland and brought out to the island to be buried in mass graves. It's unknown how many hundreds of people lie buried under these bird sanctuaries and bushes on the island. So to say Rose Island and the lighthouse might have some paranormal activity is an understatement. And back in the summer of 2009, while investigating with my friends from Rise Up Paranormal, we set out for an overnight stay on Rose Island to see what kind of evidence we might find. We packed our gear and boarded a small fishing boat for the short ride over to the island. It took two trips to get all of us and all of our gear to the island, and then it was about a 300-foot walk from the dock to the lighthouse where we would be spending the night. The housing quarters attached to the lighthouse has several bedrooms on two floors with one or two beds in each room, and there are also some common area spaces with lots of old furniture. There's no shortage of interesting things to see on the walls, too including pictures of some of the former lighthouse keepers who once called the island home, like Charles Curtis, who spent more than 30 years caring for the lighthouse. And he's one of several apparitions that have been reported being seen and heard roaming the house. In fact, there's even a picture on one of the walls that supposedly shows the reflection of Charles's apparition, a lucky catch by a one-time visitor of the island who was taking pictures during their stay. We set up our base camp in the basement of the main building. With limited electricity, we only set up a few infrared cameras and relied mostly on handheld infrared cameras for video surveillance. There was a lot of ground to cover as well. 
We wanted to investigate the lighthouse, the living quarters, and the barracks. Being summertime, the majority of the island was off limits because of the sanctuary, but we were lucky enough to receive special permission to investigate the entire island after dark. And once the sun set over the gorgeous view of the Newport Bridge, a few of us set off to inspect the island with nothing more than a few flashlights, a camera, and a camcorder with night vision. Ken, Shayna, and myself snuck away for what was supposed to be a quick jaunt along the shoreline, but it quickly turned into an adventure. We found out the hard way that the island is a lot bigger than it seems, and it's not so easy to navigate on foot. We began our trek down some paths through the grass and sand, making sure to stay on the path so as to not disturb any of the nesting birds on the island. Some of them would get aggressive if you got too close. We followed the path for a while, admiring the beauty of Mother Nature when we happened upon something man-made and completely unexpected. It was the cement foundation of an anti-aircraft gun turret. During World War II, Rose Island not only housed torpedoes and explosives, but it was also equipped with military defenses like two enclosed MK-30 Navy rigs and a couple of Army 90mm guns. The guns no longer remain, but the ring foundations dug into the island that once supported them are still there, filled mostly with bird poop at this point, as we quickly found out after climbing down into one of them. We took many photographs and videos in and around the foundations. On careful examination of the footage, we found many orbs, but being an outdoor investigation on an island so close to the water, any orbs we discovered in video or film were definitely atmospheric and not paranormal. But as we continued to explore one of the foundations, we found a strange opening, a doorway that led down into an underground room. So the three of us slowly navigated down the sloping cement corridor. It was noticeably colder and damp and very dark. Single file, we continued with our flashlights guiding the way. As the tunnel turned to the left, we could hear a strange sound coming from the other end, a swishing sound, like someone was shuffling their feet, pacing back and forth. Curious but cautious, we followed the tunnel and eventually found ourselves walking through a couple of inches of water. Some boards had been laid down to help, but the water was too deep. And as we continued, the water got deeper and deeper in some spots, up past my ankles in some areas. But eventually the tunnel opened up into a small concrete room that sloped upward, giving us some dry ground to stand on. The ceiling was low and we stood sloped over in the room and we discovered the sound we had heard. It was just debris moving around in the water. Based on the lack of any windows or furniture, we determined the room was probably used to store ammunition for the guns that once stood atop it. With water coming in, we figured it was probably best to make our way back out. We continued to make our way around the island, walking on paths and small rocky beaches. At one point, the paths were gone, or we lost them, and we found ourselves struggling to walk through the brush and rocky sand. At this point, we weren't sure where we were going, but we knew it was an island, so if we just kept walking with the water on our left, eventually, we'd have to end up back at the lighthouse. 
As we continued moving forward, we came upon a creepy old shack. Like something you'd expect to find Jason from Friday the 13th living in. It was about eight feet tall, made out of flimsy-looking wooden panels. It had a peaked roof with a few boards. It had a peaked roof with a few boards on the windows. It was completely surrounded by small trees, vines, and bushes. It was definitely old. And all I could think of was, how has this building survived all this time on an island? We could kind of see inside through some of the cracks, and we eventually found a small opening behind some of the bushes. So we squeezed through to find an empty wooden shell of a building. No chainsaws inside. Sorry, Jason. There was no furniture or signs of life either. It was just empty and creepy as could be. As we moved on from the spooky shack and continued along the shoreline, about halfway around the island, we came upon a large brick building, or what once was a brick building. It's mostly a shell and foundation now, and much of it has been taken over by Mother Nature. I thought to myself, how did that crappy wooden shack survive the elements, but this brick building didn't? We inspected closer and determined that this was one of the storage facilities for the torpedoes once housed here during World War I and II. There were several rusty cast iron structures that looked as though they were probably used to hold the torpedoes as soldiers prepared them for storage or deployment. And it made me wonder if perhaps the reason the building was so obliterated was maybe they had an accidental explosion once. Thankfully, we didn't come upon any leftover explosives. We continued our long tour around the island, and after much walking and climbing, found ourselves back at the lighthouse, where many from our team and from another team who was visiting with us were already often investigating. My next trip was over to the barracks, which were just a short walk from the main house. The barracks are a long cement and stone structure with probably a dozen or so rooms, each with their own wooden doors and shuttered windows. Stone rooms were about 15 by 15 feet, big enough for a few cots and maybe a table and chair. Each had a small fireplace as well for heat and light. They were dark and dank, and felt more like prisons than barracks. These rooms were also where many people were quarantined decades ago, which made them perfect places to investigate. Equipped with my camera and audio recorder, I joined a few others in the first barracks room for an EVP session. I sat quietly as others in the room asked questions hoping for responses. EVP stands for Electronic Voice Phenomena, during investigations, it's believed spirits can somehow imprint a vocal message or response to a question on recording devices. So EVP sessions are when investigators ask several easy-to-answer questions, hoping they'll find a response later when they review the audio. After about 10 minutes or so, a member from one of the other groups decided to try a flashlight experiment in the room. This is a common experiment seen on the TV ghost hunting shows. Basically, you click on a flashlight and then unscrew the top to the point where it shuts off. Then you carefully place the flashlight on the ground and ask the spirits to light up the flashlight for you, usually as a yes or no response to your question. And the theory is that even the slightest touch or movement of the flashlight will get it to light up. 
so it shouldn't take much effort by a spirit to manipulate the flashlight and make contact. But being more of a scientific-based researcher myself, it's not a method that I prefer when investigating. It usually leads to many false positive responses, because even the slightest movement by anyone in the room can cause the flashlight to light up. Plus, if you know how a flashlight works, the natural cooling and heating of the flashlight's contact with the battery can cause it to switch on and off randomly. So usually when I see someone doing the flashlight trick, I tend to walk away. I decided to make my way all the way down to the last room, as far from the other investigators as I could get. I don't normally venture off alone, but I really wanted to get the best chance of catching something paranormal. I opened the door and went inside. There was a single folding chair in the middle of the room. The cement walls were all cracked and crumbling, and it was pretty dark, except for the little bit of moonlight that was sneaking in through the cracks in the door and the weathered shutters. And right away, I got the feeling that I wasn't alone in that room. I started to take pictures of every corner of the room with my camera, especially one corner to the right of the fireplace towards the back of the room. For some reason, that corner looked darker than the rest of the room. After I took my pictures, I sat down in the chair and faced that dark corner and placed my audio recorder in front of me. Before I even asked my first question, I could feel the hair on my arms and neck standing up. I shook off the chills on my skin and asked out loud, is there anyone else in here with me? And suddenly I could hear someone breathing in my ear. It was as if someone was trying to whisper to me. If you're in here with me, could you give me a sign? I asked. Could you make a noise or say something to me? And there it was again, a breath in my ear. Except this time, I could feel it too. I stood up from my chair and quickly took a few more pictures, lighting up the room each time with the flash from the camera. I sat back down and asked several more questions, but never felt that breath or heard that whisper again. But later that week when I was reviewing my evidence, one of the pictures I took of that dark corner looked kind of like the shadow of a person, and it definitely wasn't my shadow. And when I reviewed the audio, you can actually hear what to me definitely sounded like someone taking a breath. It's hard to tell, but here's the audio from that EVP session. We all spent the rest of the night taking turns investigating the barracks, the main house, and the, the entire island itself. It was an incredibly beautiful night on the island, an experience I hope to repeat someday. After the investigation, we all sat around for a bit near the campfire talking and just enjoying the summer night. Eventually though, one by one, we all went inside to choose a room and a bed to sleep in. My room was tiny, just a, a small twin-size bed on a squeaky frame right across from a window. I was pretty exhausted from the night, so I fell asleep quick, as most of us probably did, but not Ken. Ken was staying in the Foghorn room. 
which is a small brick building adjacent to the lighthouse and main quarters, and much closer to the water. The room has since been turned into a bedroom, but it was once the room that housed the mechanism for the foghorn. While in there, Ken decided to conduct a quick EVP session before turning in for the night. He asked several questions, asking for a sign that the spirit could hear him, and, well, he ended up getting that sign. It's an interesting response. Here's the audio. I'd like to make that light up or maybe move something in the room. Just looking for a sign that you're here. For more information about Rose Island Lighthouse and how you can visit, check out their website at roseisland.org. And of course, as always, please visit my friends at riseupparanormal.com. My Paranormal Story is written, produced, and narrated by me, Tom Stewart. Music from this episode, courtesy of Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. If you enjoy my stories and would like to support the podcast, you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash myparanormal, or just click on the donate button on my website at myparanormalstory.com. I also have t-shirts and coffee mugs for sale. Unfortunately, podcasts cost money and your support helps me keep this podcast running. So thank you for your support. Please don't forget to subscribe so you'll know when I've added new episodes and feel free to follow me on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for My Paranormal Story. If you have a podcast and you'd like to have me as a guest, or if you'd like to ask me a question or tell me your paranormal story, you can email me at myparanormalstorypodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Stewart, and this is My Paranormal Story. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.